Hello, fellow kids, and welcome to episode 45 of Hello, Fellow Kids. Cool, obligatory no. pause out of the way. <laughs> I was opening up Amazon so I could get my ebook. Because you're all like, ready? And I'm like, ready? And then I don't have the book even. <laughs> I forgot also that you did an ebook this time. Because it, it was being fussy and like not showing you the hardcover edition. It was like showing you the paperback that wasn't out yet or something. And I was like, it's right here. And Amazon's like, I'm not showing her that. Amazon's like, shut up. Shh. <laughs> and, and you're like, what? this is a secret because she's paying less for the ebook then instead of getting the hardback book but okay hide it from her uh, so for this month we read a book suggested by a listener it is called the list of things that will not change by rebecca stead she wrote another book was it when you when you reach me i think that was like on my um on my to read list for a while and so i'm glad that we're reading something by her so yeah, um, I've, uh, I remember when I used to, uh, go to school with you, I would see books by her and I was always kind of intrigued, but, you know, never actually picked anything up. So I'm glad that we finally checked it out. What'd you think? I think it's funny that, uh, we were just talking about how, like, we haven't had a five star book in such a long time. Why have we not a five star book? And then, sure enough, we read this, and for me, it was a five-star book. And it just comes out of the woodwork. It was like, you called! <laughs> exactly. That's what it felt like. It came sliding in on its little sock feet, going, hello. <laughs> Good evening. Um, yeah, no, this was, this was absolutely phenomenal. I told, I told Mara, I was like, okay, I'm starting it. And then, like, like, three hours later, I texted her, I was like, whoops, accidentally finished. So I was like, holy crap, I guess this is, like, really good then. And then I started reading it. I'm like, yeah, it is. It is yep, really good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I see how that happened. <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I'm really, really glad that we read this. I thought that this was, uh, really helpful for, I felt like, I think part of it is just because I am reading, I'm in two different book clubs as well as a podcast, and so I'm always reading things that I'm like, obliged to read. Even if I like them, it still is kind of, like, it can get kind of exhausting. to ha So to have something that read this quickly and this pleasantly and was still, like, really engaging and made me think about stuff was just, just a phenomenal, like, palate cleanser and made me, yes. like, excited to pick up a novel again. I haven't really felt excited to read uh, for a while. There have been, like, a few books here and there. But for the listeners who don't keep track of our personal lives, I've been working a desk job for a year where I'm staring at a computer screen all day just looking at stuff, and I just kind of lost most of my interest in reading. And that's really sucked. So when I find something like really, really good like this, it's just like, oh, that's what this is like. <laughs> to like reading books. This is, this is so fun. This is I'm, what it's like to feel things. Right, yeah. I mean... My job isn't terrible, but, like, it's... <laughs> if it makes me not like reading as much as I used to, then it's not terrific. But yeah. uh, this book, I've... So, this was a... Like you said, this was a listener recommendation that we read it, and I think we're, like, two for two for their suggestions for stuff to read. So keep sending them in and, like, telling us to read awesome books, because I love what, what we're being... 
recommended. Yeah. Unless, don't be mean and suggest something bad just to get a funny episode. <laughs> They're like, here, this was trash. You guys read it. Yeah. No, this was a, this was a lot of fun. And I, I was so connected, like emotionally to so many of the characters, which is always really exciting when it happens in such a like short period of time because the book is really short it's only like 220 ish pages and it's a very ya like middle grade novel so the pages there aren't a lot of words there but like it really just like it hooks you with the characters so so easy so fluidly nice. um so i yeah very pleased with that i guess we should probably talk about what it's about right um, well, I mean, okay, so it's uh kind of told a little stream of consciousy, so that's why we're both kind of like, ah, uh, how do we, how do we go about talking about this? But basically, what comes down to is um our main character B, uh, she talks about um some of her childhood growing up in New York, and particularly her parents' divorce and her father's uh remarriage. It, but the divorce and the remarriage isn't quite what you're thinking gentle listener it's uh the dad's a homosexual <laughs> i am one of the lgbts so i can i can laugh about that but um <laughs> but yeah that's that's basically it the parents split pretty amicably and uh do a really good job co-parenting little b and uh then her her, her dad uh makes plans to remarry a very nice man named jesse so they're all this nice family unit, but I was kind of like, okay, this is all very sweet. Are we going to get conflict? And we kind of do, but it's such a low stakes conflict story. This is so comforting and perfect to read, like at this time in the world mm-hmm. where, where just like everything stresses me out if I think about it too much. So yeah, it's, yeah, so that's uh, basically what the story is. <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's low stakes in the way that like, um, Kind of similar to how the Penderwicks, like, the stakes in that aren't ever very big, but it's still, like, it's all about the characters. Them. And, right. Yeah, and, like, if the characters matter to you, then no matter how low the stakes are, the stakes still matter to you. Yeah, and the stakes are a little bit higher than, like, Sky fainting in the back because she doesn't want to go on the play that she didn't actually write, you know? <laughs> and this isn't, like, a Lucy episode or something. It, yeah, uh... but it's not, it, there's no, there's no world endangerment. No, definitely. And she's never, like, in danger of her parents not loving her anymore. And I don't even think that's a worry she ever has. Yeah. So, for my synopsis for the book, because it um it goes back and forth between a couple different periods of B's life, uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm kind of just going to introduce you to the the characters, and then most of the backstory as far as, like, the stuff that happened prior to the year of her dad's remarriage... And that we're going to treat that as, like, the primary timeline, and the rest of it is mostly going to be background stuff, but it does very much uh, have a lot of stakes in the present, and um, comes back around. But we're going to we're gonna kind of front-load you a little bit with, with the characters and stuff, but it I think it might be the most necessary way to do this. So, uh, we're going to try. Alright, go for it. So, we begin with B. Or maybe we begin with how her father and his brother Frank would listen to corn grow as kids. Or maybe we begin with B's cousin Angelica. Let's begin with B. She's 12 years old now, but most of this story takes place when she was 10. B's parents are divorced because her dad came out as gay. 
He is now happily engaged to a man named Jesse, and the two of them run a restaurant in New York City named Beatrice, after our protagonist. When B's parents told her they were divorcing, they made a list for B of things that will not change. The list includes the fact that her parents still love her, that they still love each other, but in a different way, that she will always have a home with both her parents, which will never be far apart. They even develop a completely 50-50 schedule for B to live with each parent, none of that weekends and holidays only crap, and to be honest, it sounds like one of the like easiest divorces of all time, and B is incredibly lucky to have such considerate parents. Yes. And we'll we'll get into all of this after we've set this up, because there's already a lot to talk about here. Um, the summer B's dad came out, he and B went to stay at a beach cabin with Uncle Frank's family, and he explained his situation to them as well. Uh, the adults mostly took it well, but B is teased about it by her cousin James. Additionally, James's older sister Angelica spends much of the summer hanging out with other girls at the beach instead of B, including deliberately not inviting B to their activities. During that trip, Angelica fell off the loft bed she and B were sharing, getting the wind knocked out of her, and missing cracking her head open on a furnace by mere inches. Uh, I should also mention a couple other characters. First is Jesse's sister, Sheila, who comes over often and babysits B while the men are working at the restaurant. B and Sheila love to watch Star Trek The Next Generation together. Then there are B's two closest friends, Lizette, who B originally didn't get along with, but now they're mostly cool, and B's best friend, Angus, who understands and validates B and her worries pretty much without question. He's also horrified of the idea of eating mollusks, and that is very important. Yeah. Um... So yeah, like already off the bat, it was so incredibly refreshing to have a divorce presented in such a healthy way. Like one of the biggest takeaways I had from this book as a whole is how how healthy emotions are presented with a lot of the characters. Yeah. Not everybody, you know, some of the people still have problems, oh, sure. but like it's so in tune with the idea that like you can express you you can have a wide range of emotions and they're all valid and you can you can work with them. And you can still achieve things with that. Yeah, just right from the get-go, I was like, wow, this is so, this is so nice how considerate the parents are and that that's not the conflict. Like, it, they, they say that they're going, that these things are not going to change and they don't change. Like, the, the easiest thing would be like, these are the things that will not change. And then they change and she's upset about that. But like, these promises yeah. that her parents make to her, they keep because they're important. I started reading this without having read any synopsis. I went in completely blind. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, okay, so this is going along really well. As one of these stupid parents going to decide they need to move somewhere. So that's where the conflict's going to be. It's like, no, they they like living in New York. They're going to stay in New York. They, that's where their lives are. And keep shuttling B back and forth. I was kind of like, I don't know about every other day. Because I was like, she's going to forget something. And then sure enough, she does forget something. She like, does. Important she, for school. She does. But I, yeah. it, it was really, it was really nice to see that it wasn't like a, you know, it defaults to the mom getting all, like doing all the responsible stuff. And then it's just fun dad on the weekend sort of a thing. Cause that's the exactly. stereotypical yeah. divorce setup. Right. But it's like they, they each get to play an integral part in every aspect of her life because they are splitting it right down the middle. Yeah. But I was kind of thinking that or just like, OK, this is pretty equitable. But like, how does B feel about going back? And forth? Yeah, it, it has. It still has its own challenges to the point where like her stupid cousin calls her ping pong as a joke for how she goes back and forth. But like, for some reason, we're going to step in and parent him for saying that you know? <laughs> we're going to let all the other horrible crap this horrible kid says slide. Can you tell I don't like his her cousin James because I don't like him? I and, yeah. 
I don't even want to say like, um, like, oh, well, he's a 12 year old boy. What do you expect? I'm like, I've known 12 year old boys who weren't like that. So yeah. it was just particularly him. We do find out more about their home life where when B was visiting and, uh, her cousins were particularly ghastly. And I was just like, maybe don't go on this trip anymore. <laughs> they were having their own like family thing. And I'm glad we found that out later. So you just see that, um, like everybody has their own thing going on. Yeah. People aren't always necessarily like, oh, they're all crummy all the time and, and they're just a crummy person. Like we, I think there's like one character where you go, they're just a crummy person. Yeah. We might be thinking of two different people. I'm just agreeing I mean, with uh, the concept. Uh, I also liked, and it's, it's important to know that this book is not free from homophobia. That still occurs and that it does play a big part of part of the story. But it was really cool to see that for large segments of the story, people are don't bat an eye at the idea of her dad and Jesse being gay or anything. That's just it's just whatever to them, because I feel like especially if we were reading a book that was published maybe 10 years ago for this age range, like if there's a gay character that kind of has to be like one of the capital T themes and it's oh, one of the things that I've been excited about as we have progressed as a society is being able to tell stories about gay characters where the fact that they're gay doesn't have to automatically be a huge part of their personality or their arc. It can just be a facet of who they are the same way that being straight is a facet of how a lot of other characters are. And so it's really nice to be able to see that both of those kinds of stories can still exist. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, a lot of stories are just kind of about gay pain. Yeah. And it's and, like, what about gay happiness? I know, like, please? What like, about, sometimes? What about gay pursuance of career? What about, you know? <laughs> like, Right, yeah. Like, Gay, gay like people do other to... things besides get hurt. <laughs> exactly, yes. And they're allowed to, like, have this nice life together, and they have a cool restaurant, and they have, like, a, a kid who, I don't know, I, I, I don't particularly want to be a parent myself. But I feel like if I had B for a kid, I'd be okay with that. You know, yeah. she's a very nice kid. Yeah. And I might end up if I did have a kid, she might end up that way because I would probably be studying the uh, you probably had this. And this is why the way you are the way you are. But it's called gentle parenting. I, you, it's like very heavy on like um, teaching the kid compassion and not yelling at everybody. Like not everything has to be like a battle. Yeah. <laughs> which is like not to crap on my parents or at least not to crap on one of my parents, but that's kind of how I was raised where everything's like, this isn't a debate. Do the thing I just told you to do. And that's just not what you do with like gentle parent. I can't imagine either of her parents talking to her like that. So I was just like, wow, this seems like a very peaceful upbringing. Yeah. I, I was like, I really wish I'd had this. I was just really happy to see like a parenting model presented like this. Yeah. That, I don't know, just, it just made me happy. I liked, I liked seeing it and I was like, okay, so this can work. Cause like I've seen, uh, samples of, uh, gentle parenting on TikTok, like how it goes about. And they're doing this with very tiny children and very tiny children are learning compassion and, and stuff. And it's very sweet to watch. So yeah, I, I hope that that kind of becomes the more prevalent model. Yeah. So we can get, uh, kids kind of like B who are like, okay, I'm going to sort my feelings out 
figure out what's going on here and just uh being a really emotionally intelligent yeah and I think, and I think that fixes a lot of problems yeah and it's also like she's emotionally intelligent but she's emotionally intelligent within what is reasonable for her, for her age. age exactly and she's not like having like grown-up complex emotional intelligence because like her brain just isn't ready to do that yet but she has tools that are appropriate for her age and her development level that allow her more control over those things and that's really important just um not just in how you're like writing uh, characters that are believable but understanding that people have like what you consider like a standard is going to be different depending on the age and the capacity of a person to be able to achieve those. Um, well, she just, she just, just doesn't just magically have that emotional fluency. Some of that came from her parents, I think, but she, uh, they do have her going to a, a what do you call it? A psychologist. Uh-huh. She, she has a psychologist named Miriam, and that is shown as an okay thing to be doing. It's not like a, oh, you're a troubled youth. You have to go see, you know, a therapist. It's like, this is a thing that people do to learn healthy behaviors, and there's nothing wrong with it. And it's like, thank you for normalizing it. Exactly. Yeah, it's not framed as like a punishment for anything she's done. I really wish that I'd been sent to one when I was a kid. I think I'd, I've benefited from that. My parents didn't have money, so <laughs> right. probably why I wasn't going. But um, I think I could have benefit- I've benefited from it. Because um, I was such a... I'm sure this will really surprise you, but I was such an angry little kid that one of the birthday parties, something B does, I would have been all like, I could have seen little me doing that. <laughs> totally. I totally would have done that. And her reasoning for it would have been exactly my reasoning. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so we started out reading this and we both really liked the protagonist, like pretty much immediately. Yeah. Which I don't think we've experienced in a while. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we've hated anybody, but I wasn't always just like, I am immediately, I'm like, I don't want to be overly dramatic here, but I would die for B, you know, <laughs> immediately. <laughs> so, currently, B's school is prepping for a colonial, not continental, I kept doing that on accident. Oh no. Breakfast. Uh, it's like a, it's like a colonial reenactment thing. Uh, which will include period-appropriate food and entertainment. Lizette comes to walk with B to school, and B realizes she's forgotten to bring heavy cream for that day's class because her reminder note was at her mom's house and she stayed at her dad's. Lizette helps her buy some on the way to school, but B's luck immediately turns sour when she kicks a bit of broken bottle while wearing sandals, slicing her foot open and forcing her to stay home from school. The next day, B visits Miriam, her therapist, for the last two years. I think it is referred to specifically as psychologist, so... Her psychologist. Well, a psychiatrist, they they uh, dispense uh, medication as yes. well. And I think I think a psychologist, you just sit and chat with. Yeah, that I don't so I, reductive. I'm sorry, I don't mean it quite like that. It's someone you just speak to, and I don't think they prescribe you yeah, anything. Yeah, but I don't I don't know if there is a, a distinct difference between therapist and psychologist that I should be clarifying on either. Um, I know no, the I'm not between, sure either. I know psychologist versus. Psychiatrist, I, I know that, right. I just don't know if, if therapy is a different, but anyways, at first B had no intentions of ever working with Miriam, but she quickly came around thanks to excellent professional skills on Miriam's part and a healthy dose of sour gummy bears. 
They talk about her dad and Jesse's engagement, and B has a hard time navigating her mom's potential feelings about the whole thing. This is where we also learn some more about B's tendency to be impulsive, uh, by way of three stories about birthday parties from the third grade. The first was for her classmate Carrie, where they played musical chairs, which made B anxious. When the music stopped, she shoved Angus out of his chair so she would still have a seat. Carrie's mom decided to have a talk about Bee's behavior with her mother right in front of Bee, resulting in Bee throwing a party favor bag at Carrie's mom. Miriam tells Bee that it's okay that Bee was upset because Carrie's mom was humiliating her, and Bee isn't a bad person. Back at her mom's house, Bee finds a box of dinner from her dad, a common gift to Bee's mother because she never really learned how to cook. Uh, Bee also does some scheduled worrying, which is a skill Miriam taught her to allow her to feel anxious about things without letting it ruin her whole day. That weekend, Bee goes to her dad's place and learns that Jesse's daughter, Sonia, who is about Bee's age and lives in California, is going to be staying with them for a week. Bee is over the moon. She has always wanted a sister. She's so excited she can't wait four months to meet Sonia in January. She decides that while the best spellers in her class get to attend a monthly party in their teacher's room, she will write letters to Sonia from her shameful place in the cafeteria. Sonia sends some postcards back but isn't quite as excited as Bee is. Also... A girl named Carolyn keeps trying to read Bee's letters over her shoulder. How rude. Okay. I do not like the um, spelling test thing. If, if you get, like, full marks on the test, then you get to have a special treat. I don't really think that's fair. I think that's mean to dyslexic children. And it's mean to me because I never got 10 out of 10 on a spelling test, I'm pretty sure. I usually got pretty close. But I feel like we should make it like a different reward, like um, turning in your homework. Like if you went a whole week turning in every piece of your homework, then mm. everybody, then you get to come go have a party. You know, mm -hmm. I think that I think the rewarding it with uh, like a neat reward like that uh, grade wise. OK, I'll say it. it's a little bit ableist. I don't like it. Yeah, it's, it's that reminds me of something that I was talking about with a coworker a couple of weeks ago, which is um. We would always do like, uh, you know, like science dioramas and other like poster projects and things like that, um, where you are, where it's not just, you're graded not just on the content, but on the presentation of the content. And I always felt like those were kind of, I don't know what the demographic skew would be. It always felt kind of gendered, but I don't know if that's exactly it, but I always felt like those grading on presentation ones always heavily favored certain types of students over others because like I'm a smart and artistic fellow but I am no good at using scissors or glue or like coloring things in with like consistent shading with a with a colored pencil or something I'm good at like drawing cartoon characters and writing and things like that so like my content would always be good and then my presentation part would always get low grades because like i just don't have those skills my hands don't do that and it always felt weird because it it would tend to be uh, a handful of the girls that would have like really clean handwriting and things like that would always get these really great grades on that on top of also being intelligent and having the content there. And then all of the guys would get stuck with lower presentation scores because they don't have those sorts of skills. I thought you were, were going to mean like presenting the information like, oh, you sounded confident as you were speaking and you did, you weren't right. fiddling I mean, that's with a your whole belt other buckle. Because I'm like, that's super not fair because I was very awkward while yeah. presenting my information. And I never had the prettiest poster board either. So, hey, buddy, how's it going? <laughs> 
<laughs> but you get what I'm saying, where it's like it it does feel yeah. like your certain certain things are are weighted and rewarded in ways that people can't really affect. Um, yeah, I think that I think it'd be more fair to grade it on like, okay, what's the content here? Did, did is this like good content? Yeah. Did he express that appropriately? Did he hit everything that uh, we needed presented for this yeah. dumb presentation? You know, not that your presentation was dumb. Just I, I think it's a dumb uh, yeah. assignment. Yeah. I, I never understood why we ever had to do that. It just, it would just stress me out all day. So I just yeah. be miserable all day with a sick stomach, thinking of having to present my thing. So, I um, I had uh, at least one teacher. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's the teacher I'm thinking of. Um, who when we did, when we had to do like go up in front of the class presentations, his grade was just did, did you try or not? And I thought that that was. That that's a, a respectful way to do it of like, did you give it a shot? I, even if you completely bombed, even if you like, you know, had to go sit down partway through, like, did you give it a fair shot based on what your capabilities are? Like, that's that's all he's going to ask of you. It's fair. If you're going to do a stupid assignment like that, then yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty fair way to do it. This isn't really my story to tell, but I like it. But um, my ex had to give a presentation when they were in high school. I don't know if it was high school or middle school. And they were just so stressed out by it, but they started crying. And I was like, oh, God, that's so horrible. Like, I never quite made it to tears, but I always wanted to cry. Yeah. Did the teacher, like, let you out of it? And they're like, no, they just had me sit down at my desk and give the presentation. <laughs> oh, no. I was just like, why are they that committed to to this horrible thing? This poor weeping child has to sit at the desk and give a presentation. And this isn't even like, oh, present your research that you've done that's going to help, like, fight cancer cells. <laughs> no, it's like a presentation on a dumb book, you know? Like, let them live. Yeah. The colonial breakfast, yeah, I, yeah. I was just like, I don't think I want to go to that. <laughs> we did uh, We did a similar thing. I remember, oh, I remember we made, like, uh, we made, like, Bur burlap sack messenger bag things and what else did we do? I don't remember what else we did. I definitely didn't eat any of the food, I'll tell you that. No, I know you wouldn't have. Um, especially if they're not gonna put the friggin' salt in the butter to actually give it taste. But um, I did. I mostly I was just like, uh, about this whole thing because like my parents didn't go to these school functions, so I was like, cool, I get to see everybody else's parents and I get to feel like dog crap all day. Ah, boy, every time we read these books, I'm always just like, hey, I had a bad childhood. <laughs> Even though it wasn't that bad. It's just there's aspects of it that I weren't mean, yeah. great. But that's like everybody, though. And it, there's also things that you don't necessarily, you don't know that you have an opinion on until you are in a place to reflect on it a, a lot later. And then something sparks something, you're like, oh, I have feelings about that. <laughs> I don't think it's bad to have, like, the the parents showing up at school for stuff when I was like a wee kid, like, like preschool and stuff. Like my mom would be one of the mommies who'd come in for stuff. This was before she was working though. So, you know, she was able to go to those things. Yeah. And I was always just like, my mom's here. <laughs> That's fun. And she brought snack. What she was responsible for snack once. And she brought in banana bread that she'd made. And I was just like, this is my mom's banana bread. She makes really good banana bread. Like, I was, like, so proud. <laughs> it's like when she brought in my brother when he was just born to the preschool, and, like, she got swarmed by... My mom makes really good brothers. 
<laughs> well, it's just like the whole class like swarmed over. So it was just all these tiny like three, four year olds with their sticky hands like wanting to touch the baby. And I, I was like, that's my brother. Both of your parents worked. But they still were able to go to your school stuff if they had it in the middle of the day. My mom didn't start working until I was in high school. Um, but my dad worked. Okay. My dad did work the whole time. Um, but he was at every single function that, like, I asked him to, like, if we did a play or if I said that there was, like, a, a Father's Day thing or something, he was at every single one of those. That's good. So. If there was a school event after school, then we were able to go. But mm. it's just, like, working hours, they couldn't come. Yeah. Yeah. Was the throwing a, the party favor bag the thing that you would have done? No, like, completely hauling that kid out of the chair to sit down. I okay. totally would have done that. Okay. Throwing the bag? Um, probably not, because I didn't lash out at adults. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I, like, um, I, you're bigger and you can hurt me. I wouldn't have thrown the bag, but boy, would that have, like, offended me. Like, heard, like, talking about me in front of me like that? It's like, hi, immediately I'm a person. <laughs> Yeah, she's talking to her like she's like a rabid animal who needs to like go get put down or something. When you contrast that to, we haven't covered it yet, but she talks about a different birthday where she acted out not quite as bad, but um, she acted out, and I feel like that mom handled it better. Yeah. Mus- musical chairs was super stressful for me. Yeah. I didn't like it. Oh, I'll tell you the worst game though. I hate and like. Anytime someone mentions it when I'm a grown-up, I just want to punch him in the head. But that heads-up 7-up game, uh-huh. hated it. Hate it. Hate it so much. I used to... Um, have you ever played it? Yeah. Or you've just heard of it? Okay. I don't know. Some, some things get, just get phased out. But every time the teacher would be like, okay, we got like 20 minutes. I don't have anything planned. How do you want to spend that time? There's there's always... It was always girls. Like these like girls would be like, heads-up 7-up. And I'm like, why are you obsessed with this crummy game? I hate this game. But for anyone who doesn't know, heads up, seven up, uh, you shut out the, all the lights out and you put your heads down on the desk and all you have, like, you like have your thumbs up on the desk with your face hidden. And, um, like I think seven people, I think are like it or whatever. And they go around and they like tap your thumb. And then you have to guess who tapped your thumb when the light comes on. And I think mostly people cheated by like, they wouldn't have their eyes covered. They'd, they'd be looking down, but then they look at the shoes. Uh-huh. And then match shoes to people, and that's how they were able to guess. And I just hated being picked and then having to guess, and everyone going like, eh, "No, eh. you know, I, I hated that." <laughs> so, so what I do is like, I always tucked my thumb away, like I'd already been picked. <laughs> so then that wouldn't even be an option. I feel like I did that at least once, just because I I didn't care. Okay, like, am I out of bounds? Like, it's a stupid game, right? Like, it's not even fun? I don't remember it really being fun. I remember playing it a handful of times. We also played a game where you would, like, um... What would you do? It was like you would leave... Somebody would leave the room, and then you would have to... You'd have to, like, change something about the rest of the group and then come back in. Like, I don't know if somebody else, like, hid, and you had to figure out who was missing from the group, or, like, somebody would, like, change jackets or something like that. It was like a memory game where you had to figure out what was different. I remember playing that a few times as well. That doesn't sound fun either. There's like 30 of you and one person guessing. I'd get super bored and just start talking to my friend or something. <laughs> you know, like, I don't want to do this. 
I think maybe uh, those games were a little bit different in, in elementary school for me than for you, because I had the elementary school program where it was basically the same 30 kids for six years. And so we had a bit of a different dynamic. Well, but... No, that's not really the point I'm making. The point I'm making is that it's really only fun for one person doing the guessing while everyone else just has to sit there. Right, but uh, what, I'm say- like very... what I'm saying is we would... It would become more of a teamwork thing is where we would try try to give them hints and stuff like that. Like, we were more engaged as an audience than just, like, waiting for them to choose. I just think there's better games where everyone can participate, so these individualized ones are just kind of like, ugh, whatever. Hey, man, I'm not a teacher. <laughs> like, I think there was some game... I can see why we couldn't play it, but I think you sat on top of your desk and slapped a foam ball around. Oh, yeah. We did but, uh that. I can see someone like falling and hurting themselves and then we can't play it anymore. You know, so that's fun because everyone can potentially participate in that. You're not just watching someone else guess a thing or hiding your thumb because you don't want to get picked. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, games are stressful. I don't know if I've ever played musical chairs. Don't. I I played a similar game that was like, um, is it a cakewalk? Is that what it was? Oh, I think I know what you mean. Yeah, don't you kind of like walk around for a bit and you stop in front of the cake you want or something? We had like we had like numbers on the ground and you would step on the numbers and then when it stopped, they would pick a number. And if you were standing on it, you won one of the desserts that like the parents had brought. Yeah, yeah, that's what a cakewalk is. My uh, mom told me about one she went to when she was a kid that you had to pay to get into, I think. This wasn't just like a fundraising event. Well, it might have been a fundraising event, but she and her friends went and they pooled their money together to get to go to the cakewalk. And uh, she remembered exactly what kind of dessert they ended up with. And it was like amazing. And she was so happy like, talking about it. So I'm like, OK, I want to participate at a cakewalk. That sounds fun. <laughs> you would be even better at cake sit where you just don't do anything. and You get to eat cake. <laughs> That's like a, that feels like a Jim Gaffigan joke. Yeah, it does. <laughs> that does sound I, like my kind of game, though. I don't want to have to walk for my cake. What is this, the Olympics? <laughs> um, I mean, I guess this is as good a time as I need to say. I love Jesse. He's one of my favorite characters of, like, any book we've ever read. It's pretty great. I really like Sheila a, as well. Yeah, they're they're such a cool family. Well, I mean, you know, those well, two yeah. are such a good family. Yes. <laughs> those two and nobody else. Um, and no one else. But yeah, like, yeah, Sheila's so cool. I feel like if we were siblings, you, like, you would you would be the Sheila and I would be the Jesse. Um, that would be I, exactly our dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also like that her, uh, her dad, like, is still supportive of her mom by, like, sending them meals and stuff because, like, that's a skill that he has that she doesn't. And so there's not really any judgment there. It's just like, hey, I can do this for you. It's... It's fine. Um, and I know that later on, her mom feels, you know, ha- has her own feelings about that. Um, but I still think that's a cool gesture of being like, you know, no hard feelings. We're still a family. Like, it's all good. I can see, like, um, that it would be hard for her to keep doing that. It's just like, okay, I can't heal from this and move on with my life if you're still sending, like, food for us. And, like, she also doesn't, yeah, she is also, like, not necessarily feeling like she can be, like, an an independent parent as well if, you know, he's 
still pr- doing the little yes. providing on that that front. So right. I totally understand her reasoning, but I I I still like that he was willing to do that. Totally, yeah, because I know he didn't think anything of it. Like I'm sure there was no judgment involved. Just like this is what we've always done. Yeah, this is like food I know you two would like. So here you go. Here's a treat. And she's like, okay, no more treats. Like some. <laughs> yeah. But can you imagine if she'd gotten like a new boyfriend or something, and he's just like, why is your ex still coming into our house and putting food in our fr-? You know, like, yeah. why does this keep happening? I can see that being like a point of contention. So it's kind of yeah. like, okay, you know, we have our separate lives now. Um, we are co-parenting, but that doesn't necessarily mean you get to come in here and leave food. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I could kind of see from like both, but from both sides, like what was going on. Okay. January arrives, and B finally gets to meet Sonia. Things mostly go well, but Sonia gets homesick in the evening, and that manifests in her abruptly leaving dinner. This is when we learn about the second of the three birthday parties, which involved a speedboat ride that made B deeply uncomfortable. Miriam taught her that sometimes feelings are like ogres and have layers, and sometimes things like fear hide behind anger. This is likely what Sonia is experiencing. B asks her mom if she can stay at her dad's the whole week so she can spend time with Sonia, her mom agrees, but it's obvious that she's disappointed that she won't get to spend time with B. B introduces Sonia to a collection of cassettes featuring her grandpa reading stories to her dad as a kid, and they listen to them together each night. That week, B tells Miriam how excited she is to be getting a sister, and Miriam tries to get her to understand that Sonia might not feel the same way that B does. Later, the group goes ice skating, and it's a blast, but B struggles with the idea of having one of the best days of her life without her mom being there. On the way home, B's dad gets a call from Uncle Frank informing them that Angelica has developed Bell's palsy, a temporary paralysis. B immediately wonders if it has anything to do with the fall Angelica took and feels awful. The week ends and Sonia heads back to California. Sonia is sad to be leaving but still acts more standoffish than B would like. B continues to write to Sonia while her dad and Jesse continue preparing for the wedding. When it comes time to make invitations, Sonia, who is there via Skype, mentions Jesse's brother, Mission. Jesse seems sad, but Sheila is furious and informs B that Mission will not be invited to the wedding because he didn't accept Jesse when he came out. B wonders if Mission could have changed after all this time, and that night makes an invitation for him. I have been the B so many damn times chasing after the Sonias of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I would like- I would have been such a Sonia because I, well, not end, I don't know. I would tell my mom and my dad how glad I was that they didn't have a second kid. So, like, I would not be thrilled about having a sibling. It's not even like Sonia's, like, not thrilled to be having a sibling. She's just yeah, not she's, thrilled. That... It's just a lot. It's a lot. I feel really bad for her. And plus, it'd probably feel weird. Like, my dad doesn't live with me, but now he lives with this little girl and is playing dad to her and she gets to be with him all the time. And like, I'm here and I feel kind of out of place. So I was feeling a lot for Sonia, but um, I was just like, God, if my parents had ever gotten remarried, best case scenario, I would have ended up with a B. I would have ended up with some resentful little shit who's just like, I can't wait until like our parents eventually get divorced because your mom sucks and I don't want you being in my family and I hate you. You know, like that's the kind of kid I'd end up with instead of be like, I always wanted a sister. Let's listen to these tapes of my grandpa's reading stories. Like I never met anyone delightful like that. I was always... <laughs> 
like, or if I did meet someone kind of delightful by that, I was always kind of like, you're kind of a dip and like, and didn't like him a whole lot. But like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just, it would have been really nice to end up with like a B, yeah. but I never, I always encountered like aloof Sonia's are just flat out mean Angelica's, you know? I like how mean Angelica can be a reference to this book or a reference to Rugrats. Right, exactly. Just don't name your kid that. She's going to suck. <laughs> um, What else happened in that section? Oh, yeah, like the the homophobic brother. Yeah, when uh, B's like, he could have changed. I'm like, honey, that kind of thing doesn't change, I don't think. It sometimes can, but you have to, it, there there has to be there a has lot to be an that happens. Effort. Yeah, you don't usually just not talk to somebody for a while and then be like, hey, I'm not a homophobe anymore. Precisely. Oh. Like, he should have, like, stayed in contact with his brother for years and just, like, all the years of, like, growing together and seeing him and his life and stuff, that would have changed him, but just distanced for years and then suddenly showing up wasn't going to magically fix yeah. it. And the fact that B is still so, like, optimistic about it, like, like she's not like, oh, he's totally changed for sure, but, like, the fact that she thinks of it, it being a distinct possibility and, like, inviting him to the wedding and stuff, I kind of feel like maybe she hasn't had to deal with a ton of homophobia yet in her life, which is really nice. I mean, she's definitely dealt with some of it, and she deals with more of it in this book. But um, she's lucky to have a gay parent in a time when it is less of a taboo than, you know, just a generation prior. It's it still has has its hurdles, but it's already so much better. And they live in an area where that's okay. Like New York. Yeah, they're going to be fine. <laughs> it's not like they're in, like, I don't know, rural Ohio. Sorry, if you're from Ohio, I'm not saying you're a homophobe. I'm just saying <laughs> I wouldn't want to go there. Statistically, it's you're going to encounter that probably more often. Yeah, corn, cornfields and homophobes. And homophobic corn. Oh, wait, were we going to say anything about the... Yeah, the other birthday party mm-hmm. where she's in the speedboat mm-hmm. yelling like, I don't like this. Uh, and that mom did talk to B's mom, but like took her aside to do it. Yep. And was just like, um, there was an incident. <laughs> just want you to know a little bit about this. And I was just like, that's how you handle it. You don't talk about the kid in front of them. Yep. April rolls around and B and her mom have an adventure in the form of a bat getting into the apartment. It's removed without issue, but B's mom decides to take them both in to get rabies shots. Later, B overhears her mom calling her dad, telling him to stop sending her food. Then she learns that her dad will be flying out to visit Angelica in the hospital, meaning he won't be there for the colonial breakfast, and neither will her mom because of work. Furthermore, Sonia is no longer answering B's emails. Things are getting rough for her. B visits Angus after school to pet his cat, even though his mom has never forgiven her for pushing Angus during musical chairs even going so far as to not invite her to his birthday that year. She confides in him her anxieties about Sonia because he also has a sister, and she's hurt when he accidentally implies that Sonia wouldn't be her real sister. Back at her dad's, B asks Sheila for the story about Mission. In short, when Jesse came out to his family, he was already engaged to Sonia's mom. Jesse's parents immediately told him not to tell anyone he's gay and that they were going to pretend the conversation didn't happen. Mission took their side and... Only Sheila supported Jesse. It was especially hurtful for Sheila because she and Mission are twins. Jesse ended up going through with the wedding and hiding himself for years before working up the courage to come out fully, at which point Mission completely t- cut ties with Jesse. B now hopes Mission won't come to the wedding after all. 
B helps Jesse take some empty oyster shells from the restaurant to the ocean, where Jesse deposits them in an attempt to rebuild local shellfish habitats. On the way back, he surprises B by telling her that he'll be going to her colonial breakfast. He'll even be giving a demonstration on preparing and eating oysters for the class. Jesse is the best stepdad ever. I really do. I really like him. I he's think so that great. He's not only is he a, such a cool person with like the you know uh, rebuilding the shellfish habitat is like like you know why be wasteful with all of that stuff if you can if you can do something with that and the fact that he's like yep I'm gonna just lug these out to the ocean on the subway and it's fine it's just it's what I'm gonna do and then he's like oh by the way. I'm going to show up because you're important to me. And it's like, ah, you're just, you're such a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you absolutely have to have a step parent, he's a good one to have. Yeah. I never wanted one. You know how you said that you did, you told your parents, I don't want another sibling. That's how I felt about a step parent. Like, I don't want a new, a new one. Do not bring that into my house. <laughs> <laughs> like, but it's just character Jesse. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Only exception. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a gay restaurateur from New York named Jesse? If not, I don't want him. Do not bring anyone else into this house. <laughs> I refuse. I like that she's like, can I come pet your cat? <laughs> yeah, but like, I related to that because I was like, I want to pet kitties. Yeah. Or she wanted to come and brush the cat because the cat actually would like, liked being brushed. That's right. Yeah. And there's just my cat who died last year around this time, he did not like being brushed. But when you brush a cat that really likes being brushed, there's just something about it. The way they, like, tilt their heads back with, like, their mouth hanging open, it's just so funny. <laughs> where, they're, where they're just like, yes, as they're getting brushed. It's great. My aunt had a cat that really got into it, and she, yeah, she would have this, like, zoned-out look on her face with her mouth open, especially when you brushed her face itself. She really liked having her face brushed. Hmm. Just, just so into it. And some cats are like, get that away from me. I don't care. <laughs> like my cat, he'd like turn and like bite the brush and be like, ah, what is that? I don't like it. But um, how much are children going to like oysters, though? When he's like, I'm bringing oysters. And I'm like, I don't think anyone's going to want that. Like, because kids are such like, they have such simple palates. And right. they don't want to eat anything like that. Right. And I'm a grown-up, and I don't think I have that simple of a palate, but, like, I hate oysters. <laughs> they are yeah, disgusting. Yeah, and especially, like, Angus, who's, like, literally my biggest fear in life is having to, like, consume a shellfish. <laughs> he specifically said scallop. And I yeah, was like, it's oh, scallop and oysters bad. a close second. Well, oyster, you just flat-out eat it raw, and you actually have to, like, swallow it whole. You don't sit there chewing it. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of icky. I don't like that. But like a scallop, you can like, you can cook that and like, it's nice and you put it in a pasta or, um, I went to a restaurant where they were like, it was like grilled scallops with, um, asparagus and a risotto and it was a very nice meal and probably one of my favorite meals I ever ate in a restaurant. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, buddy, you're missing out. You're right about oysters being nasty, but like <laughs> a cooked scallop, it's going to be nice. I guess he doesn't like clams either, then. They are also a mollusk. This has been the Mollusk Podcast. Uh, You're going to have a lot to edit. One night, B tells Sheila about her favorite tape. After one of her grandpa's story recordings, there's a clip of her dad as a boy singing You Are My Sunshine, which has always been special to her. 
She now feels like Jesse is her dad's sunshine, and if they hadn't had the courage to be their true selves, they never would have found each other. Sheila loves this thought and declares sunshine to be the theme of the wedding. That night, Sonia Skypes B and apologizes for not responding, explaining that she was upset by the whole uncle mission scenario and still getting used to the idea of her family changing. In truth, she had a lot of fun visiting and looks forward to having a home in New York as well as in California. B tells her about how, when she was little, she used to think that each window had its own moon, and she would have her mom take her to both windows in the apartment to see them. That's kind of like what their families are now. The colonial breakfast arrives, and at first it's going well. B introduces Jesse as her dad's fiancé, which causes Carolyn to comment on B's dad being gay. Some of the other kids and parents are noticeably uncomfortable as well, and when Jesse asks who wants to try an oyster, B accepts, but nobody else makes a move. Then Angus, pure sweet Angus, who is horrified of eating shellfish, walks right up and eats an oyster like it was nothing. This breaks the freeze of the room. I'm pretty sure everyone is enjoying Jesse's oysters. That was like my favorite scene of like any yeah. book I've read this year. I was like getting shivers. I was just like, Angus, Angus, you yes. hero. You sweet baby angel. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It just shows how crummy that teacher was, because when the teacher saw no one was coming forward, he should have done it. Yeah. You know, jackass, instead of making poor little Angus stand up and be all, I'm Spartacus, and, like, save the day. Ugh. But, like, you agree with me, right? Like, that's that's a great... It was a great character moment. Yeah. I was just like, oh my god, Angus, <laughs> you're sweet. My boy! <laughs> you sounded like Cedric Diggory. <laughs> 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 my boy the triumphant music still tootling <laughs> they're like no stop it <laughs> <laughs> it was a live band otherwise someone could have just needle screeched <laughs> needle screech and then and then uh robert pattinson overdub you're probably wondering how i got here <laughs> <laughs> well to tell that story we need to back up again and then like the picture like reversing and you hear like like a VHS recording. And then it shows him, like, squealing as a baby. Whoops, too far. Oh, shit. We've seen too many movies. Uh, yeah. Okay. <sighs> B is writing to Sonia in the cafeteria again when Carolyn starts bugging her, asking why she claims to have a sister when she doesn't. B uses Carolyn's own hand to smash Carolyn in the face. She deserved it. B yes. still feels bad, though, and writes Carolyn an apology letter, and they make up. That night, B's dad calls and tells her that Angelica is healing and will be fine in time for the wedding. However, B still doesn't feel great. A week before the wedding, there's a surprise knock at B's dad's door. It's Mission. He got the invitation and decided to come by. Jesse is remarkably cordial, but Sheila doesn't even bother to hide her frustration. Mission is very formal and respectful and even stays over, falling asleep on Sheila's shoulder. Sheila knows B invited Mission and tells her that no matter what happens... It's okay. B goes to her last appointment with Miriam before the wedding, and the truth comes out. Angelica didn't fall from the loft. B pushed her as she was climbing off. What's more, B made fun of Angelica's stutter at dinner the night before because she was upset that Angelica was spending time with the other girls and not her, and that James was making fun of her dad being gay, and that she was holding a lot in and let it out by making Angelica fall. Miriam tells B that she's not a bad person. She makes mistakes, and she's allowed to do that. She's also allowed to be forgiven, which it seems everyone has done except for B herself. Anything before I go to the wedding? Um, I would have kicked Angelica off that thing, too. <laughs> and I just stood up and said, I'm the one who kicked her off it. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, because like I had a cousin, not really through blood relations or anything. We were related through like a marriage that has not been a marriage for like 20 years. So right. anyway, and she was always finding other people to hang out with to exclude me from stuff. Yeah. So I was just like, yeah, I've, I've been the bee in this situation so mm -hmm. many times with that horrible girl who, um, my relative is still in touch with. And she was like, Oh, we should have everybody get together again. And I said, I have no interest in seeing her. And she's like, well, we're all grown up now. And I was like, I don't care. I don't want to see her. That's how much I hate her. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been excluded to that extent before where you just feel like a bag of trash. And you don't really have anywhere else to go because it's a vacation. It sucks. Yeah, no, I, I, I have not experienced that, so I can't, I, I can't comment on your experience. That is entirely yours. I was just like, I'm pretty sure you like had nice cousins who included you in things. So <laughs> I was thinking of like that family camping trip you guys go on, and it sounds like everyone is fine and not dysfunctional like my wretched family. So. Yeah, um, like, all well, of, all so of everybody my... everybody under the bus. All of my, like, actual, like, close cousins, as in the ones that I can actually track on a family tree, we all get along really well, so. That's what it sounded like, from everything you, you told. But there is one thing you have to remember. Yes? That cousin has to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he was going to tell you. That's my favorite cousin story. Instead of my mean is mean AF cousin who left me at it. And she always knew the songs on the radio and I was so jealous of that that like for years I made it my mission to uh learn every song I could. So if I ever saw her again and like when I saw her again I'd be like, I know all these songs. If that had happened, she would have been like she would have been like, Oh, the radio is so blase. I'm into insert hyper indie band here. Oh that I'm too old for that. That wouldn't have been an option. It was still radio. <laughs> like, it, like internet and like Napster and shit hadn't happened ah, yet. Okay. And by the time it had, like, the divorce had happened, so I wasn't going to see right. this person again anyway. But, so. like, but like 12 year old you was just like, every radio song all the time. I'm ready and prepped. Well, <laughs> For a while, it wasn't even a conscious thought. I would just play the song again and, and be, just be like, okay, I gotta know this song. And then so often, like, <laughs> when I encountered uh, other people, they'd be like, you really know a lot of songs. I'm like, funny that you uh, noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason for that. And then, like, I tell them the story and they like, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> that I learned all this, all these songs and, like, have, like, a, all this lyrical knowledge just out of spite. But yeah, I, w I would have kicked Angelica off that loft for sure. But I, re I really did have an easy time casting you and I as uh, Jesse and Sheila when Mission comes into town, because I'm just picturing myself being like, this is awkward, but I guess I'm going to try. And you're just like, no, no, no. <laughs> just in the other room, just like, that's not happening. And it turns out me and Sheila were right. <laughs> Okay, we're basically going to wind it down. The wedding finally arrives. Sheila gives Bee and Sonia matching sun necklaces, and the girls are finally equally thrilled about becoming sisters. Angelica arrives, and Bee tells her the truth about the loft and apologizes. Angelica knew that Bee pushed her. She's not stupid. 
But she didn't blame B, she blamed herself, calling it karma for the time she accidentally vacuumed up a toad and left it to die instead of helping it. I guess pretty much everyone blames themselves more than other people blame them. The wedding commences, and everything is going perfectly, until the vows. That's when Mission stands up and tells Jesse not to go through with it. Sheila tells Mission to leave, but Mission just stands there in defiance. That's when Uncle Frank starts singing, You Are My Sunshine. Then B's mom joins in. Then Lizette. Pretty soon everyone is singing in support of Jesse. And Mission looks like a darn fool. He walks to the end of the aisle, shoves the wedding cake to the ground, and leaves Jesse's life forever. B's dad rushes down the aisle after Mission, but Uncle Frank stops him, grabs his hand, and walks his brother back to Jesse so they can be married. So was it a perfect wedding? No. But Jesse never felt more loved and supported than he did that day. A new family was made and everyone hung around for a long time after, just enjoying each other's company. And after the wedding, B and Sonia got to enjoy being real sisters. Um, that scene where Uncle Frank, like him starting the song and like going and grabbing his brother by the hand and bringing him back to the altar, like there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that that is exactly what my dad would do. Like if his brother was, you know, getting married to Jesse, like no yeah. doubt in my mind, that's exactly how it would play out. Like he would, he would know exactly what needed to be done there. So he's a pretty cool, dude. Yeah, yeah, that was that was nice. I was devastated because that wonderful cake got destroyed. <laughs> I think it'd be really great if like Lizette's grandma sent him a a bill. It's like <laughs> you wrecked it, you paid for it. This was hours of my work gone. How dare you? <laughs> That'd be my epilogue of what happened. And then takes him to small claims court for it. And Judge Judy yells at him, Sir, you can't destroy a cake. And way to make this all about you, you stupid douchebag. Like, you knew what they were going there to do that day. Why are you surprised? Also, P.S., the ex-wife is here and could be gracious. So what is your excuse? Right. (laughs) What the Yeah, like, I don't know if he was like, there's still time, there's still time. Like, maybe, or like, I don't, I don't know what he was thinking. Like, I'm gay in the next few minutes. Loser. I don't, I don't like Mission. No, no one likes Mission. They're not supposed to like him. You're not supposed to like Mission. Yeah, and so there's an epilogue, and um, I mentioned at the very start of my synopsis, uh, B's dad and Uncle Frank uh, listening to corn, and there's the story of the very- The the actual vegetable. Right, not capital K corn. uh, Lowercase C corn. (laughs) They 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 stand out there listening to boom that's I'm not Ima the boom that's I'm not Ima something take um anyways so the very the very start of the book is her her dad's story about how he and Frank would go and listen to corn and B says that it explains something about her dad's second wedding and then it's never referenced again until the very end and so the very last page reads as follows you may be asking yourself what this story has to do with the sound of corn growing the answer isn't about corn it's about two brothers listening together it's about the kind of love that doesn't ask you to be anyone but who you are dad and uncle frank had that sort of love from the beginning i wish everyone did They could never believe that other people didn't hear it. The most surprising thing about the sound of corn growing, Dad says, is that it's loud. So the dynamic of these two different pairs of brothers and how one of them has this absolutely unconditional love 
and just friendship and partnership with his brother and how the other one just can't see that and loses out on all of that because of his own prejudice. So, yeah, which sucks. Cause like, I would love, I mean, okay. We've already established that like my brother's awesome, but like if I also had another brother who was like Jesse, perfect family, like you're, you're missing out on not having Jesse in your life. You like, really are. Sorry, loser. Don't have him in it then. <laughs> <laughs> have your little bitchy hissy fit and throw the cake on the ground. Frank's just going to come back with like ice cream sandwiches to save the day because he's right. <laughs> I have to say though, that like when I finished this book, I immediately burst in tears. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, immediately started crying and I'm like, five stars, five stars. It's yeah. So, it's, it's really dang good. It's really yeah. good. So, so yeah, I'm glad we got that. We got a five star one. Yeah. Whoever, whatever anonymous listener, uh, you got good taste. Thanks. Yes. Oh. So, that was the list of things that will not change by Rebecca Stead. And, uh, next month, we are going to be revisiting Tomi Adeyemi's series with the Children of Virtue and Vengeance. So, be looking forward to that. As you can see, like, the two times we've been recommending something, we went ahead and, and read it. So if you send an email to us, we, it will not go ignored for long. And <laughs> I, I, I openly admit that at this point I do have to filter through a lot of spam uh, fake invoices to find it because oh, no. somehow the email got out. Uh, well, I mean, obviously we post it publicly, but um, it it does get a lot of spam like your invoice for your new phone or whatever crap. So I do have to filter through those, but I will find your email eventually. I'd love to help, but I can't get into it without Google being like, who is this? What's happening? And I'm like, I have the password, though. And they're like, no. Oh, my God. Ah." You have the password, but you're in the wrong place. Yeah, it's 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 so secure that we can barely use it. (laughs) Right. The only thing keeping uh, it won't keep like hackers out, but it'll keep us out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. All right. Hello, fellow kids is hosted by Mara and Josh, produced by Josh, music provided by Ben Ash. You can visit him at benash.com. If you'd like to contact us with recommendations or uh, comments or helpful critiques and uh, not poo-poo, you can email us at hfkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter and Instagram at hfkpodcast. And we will talk to you guys in February. Uh, when we discuss Children of Virtue and Vengeance by Tomi Adeyemi. Bye.